Welcome to Freeze or Fawn, the podcast where I investigate the dynamics of relationships, the psychology of abuse and trauma, and share with you personal stories from survivors of abuse. My name is Sophie Buch, I'm a clinical psychologist from Denmark and your host of this podcast. Hello, hello. So it's been a while since my last recording. Lots has happened. I promise you I haven't lost interest in making this podcast, but I happen to be the kind of person who works mostly when in intense hyperfocus. And honestly, I've kind of been waiting for a new hyperfocus to get back into podcasting. Unfortunately, my hyperfocus mostly happened at night, which makes it even harder. Anyways, I'm working on figuring out how to do stuff without relying on the state of hyperfocus. So hopefully that means you'll now see a steady flow of consistent content release. Oof. <laughs> a lot of people have reached out with an interest to be on the podcast. And for sure I got positively overwhelmed and perhaps a little bit insecure, which of course also made it difficult for me to get back into it. Well, I can't wait to interview guys and as an attempt to keep this podcast going, I'll be releasing a few shorter episodes. In the last couple of months I've been very focused on doing therapy, but I've also had my eye on my never-ending book projects. And yes, that's book projects in plural. Hopefully, I'll be able to tell you more about that in the near future. There's a pattern here. Lots of unfinished projects. On a more personal and private note, a lot of my time has also been dedicated to moving in the beginning of the year and getting settled. I've moved back to Aarhus with my partner and our two dogs. We now finally have a little garden to unleash our wild beasts in, and it's just wonderful. At the moment, I'm working partly from home, but also in clinic. And now I see clients in Aarhus, which is awesome. I'm also planning group therapy for people who've experienced psychological abuse. You can read more about that on my website or on Instagram. Anyways, with that small update from me, I'll go ahead and introduce you to what I want to talk about today. If you follow me on Instagram or TikTok, you know I have a thing for people-pleasing. I talk a lot about it because it's also a main theme in the therapy I do. A lot of people come to me to understand and work on everything that connects to people-pleasing. I think people-pleasing is such an interesting tendency, and it's something that so many people relate to and struggle with. Today I want to investigate why we become people-pleasers, what it means for our relationships and mental health, and how to work on changing it. What I mean when I say people-pleasing is the tendency to constantly worry about other people's needs, constantly try to keep the mood nice and easy, and constantly worry about whether or not we may have upset someone. We're preoccupied with pleasing others. It can be quite exhausting as it requires quite a lot of attention on the emotional environment we're in. It also means that we are putting other people's needs before our own. We have issues asking to have needs met. We don't like or avoid setting boundaries, struggle to make decisions, and our mood and emotions are so tied up to people around us. As people-pleasers, we try our hardest to avoid conflict by using the strategy of pleasing, which we also call a fawning strategy. 
In previous episodes, we've already talked a bit about fawning, as it's one of the four F responses. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn. These are our stress or perceived danger responses, and if they're overused, they become our trauma responses. Sometimes on social media with clients or with friends and family, I kind of get the sense that there's this common understanding of people-pleasing as a character trait, and maybe even a character flaw. People who identify as people-pleasers are so hard on themselves about this, which is of course part of the pleasing. They beat themselves up over this tendency or see it as part of their personality. I'm not necessarily here to argue them wrong, but I do want to offer a broader understanding of people-pleasing. And this is exactly where the four Fs come in, because the four Fs, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, explain people-pleasing as part of this last F response. Fawning is when we appease, smooth, please, or submit to avoid further escalation of a situation. This response is extremely useful in many situations, and most people use it from time to time. But it is a stress response, that is, a response to a perceived danger or threat. So when we're people-pleasers, our internal alarm system is kind of detecting potential threat all the time, or at least most of the time when we are with people. And so we get stuck in pleasing and appeasing. Often when we talk about threat and danger, and maybe especially trauma, people think of very extreme situations. But what's important to understand here is that threat can be many things, and our internal alarm system might react similarly when someone is raising their voice to how it would react if our life was in danger. When we people please, we've learned that pleasing is the best way to avoid danger or conflict. In a way, it's kind of like gaining control by giving control. We keep our focus on the other person, let them decide, give them the power, so that the situation remains calm and predictable. The downside, of course, being that we end up lacking the ability to stand up for ourselves when necessary or not getting our needs met. And then we end up doing a lot of things we actually don't want to do. It also means that we become very externally driven. We're so focused on people around us, and if this is a lifelong pattern and not just a strategy, we might even struggle to feel our needs and boundaries because we're so busy focusing on others. Maybe we've never really even practiced focusing on feeling our own needs and boundaries. When talking about people-pleasing, a lot of people will talk about being a caring person and try to explain some sort of pleasing through this character trait. I think it's quite important to learn to distinguish between doing things for others because we're caring and doing things for others because we're trying to maintain a good mood, maintain a relationship or avoid something such as conflict. People-pleasing in this episode and podcast is seen as the last option where it becomes more of an avoidance strategy or a survival strategy rather than an altruistic trait. Sometimes using this explanation of simply being a caring person can even be an avoidance strategy in itself because we avoid facing the fact that our people-pleasing is stressful and neglectful towards ourselves. 
Distinguishing between caring about others and people-pleasing is important for the people-pleasers themselves, but also for practitioners and therapists working with people-pleasers. So let's have a closer look at how this tendency develops, how it affects our relationships, and how to change the pattern. There's a story that repeats itself in therapy, told by people-pleasers when talking about their childhood. Of course, now I'm generalizing a bit. Of course, you can be a people-pleaser without telling this story and having a different story. But this is something I do observe in therapy. It's the story of the good kid. People-pleasers will tell the story of how they were always told they were the good kid, the happy child, the easy one, always smiling, always good in school, and so on. They tell a story of being praised for doing good and potentially still receiving remarks for having been the easy child, even, for example, compared to siblings. Now, obviously, this is meant as a nice thing most of the time when parents say this. And sometimes there's nothing wrong with that story. But, and there is a but, it's curious to investigate this whole good kid story a bit further. Often this story includes siblings that might have taken up a bit extra space or parents who were maybe overwhelmed or emotionally unavailable at times. The realistic and truthful story a parent can tell is that, sure, maybe you were an easy child, but of course... As is the human condition, at times it's hard. So when a child is more or less only told this story of being the good, easy, gentle, obedient, happy child, they learn from a very early age how to please their parents. Most kids want to please their parents because pleasing their parents will bring care and attention, usually. And later, of course, also because they care. If care and attention feels limited or conditional, the child has a few options to get their crucial needs met. Either throw tantrums, take up space, be the difficult child and receive attention, albeit negative attention. Tantrums are almost always thrown for attention, care and compassion. And sometimes the child has learned that a tantrum is what makes mom stay and hold me. The other option, if expressing emotions or throwing a tantrum is punished, ignored or simply invalidated, is to please and be a good child and hope for some crumbs of care there. When talking about how people-pleasing can develop in childhood, we enter a delicate and complex family system. The child is much more observant and creates complicated life rules from an early age. For example... Mom only cares about me when I'm happy, pretty, and smiling. This rule might have come from a family system with several children, some maybe needing extra attention and help, and one being slightly overlooked because the parents are simply overwhelmed and overworked. Sometimes people-pleasing develops through abusive family dynamics, but far more often it comes from, sadly, a quite normal or not at least unusual family setting which also is conditioned by societal expectations and whatnot, but the political perspective I'll save for another time. A lot of people-pleasers will even have a motto. Well, there are others that suffer much more. Or, my childhood was great, can't pinpoint anything. Or, it's not like I experienced abuse or anything like that. 
The problem with these sentences is that they are just as unrealistic and invalidating as the good child story. And most often, once we start realistically and gently looking at the childhood family dynamic, we will find an explanation of why people-pleasing became a thing. When we repeat these mottos to ourselves and others, we're invalidating the struggle we're in, taking full responsibility for the problem. Looking at the childhood is not about blaming the parents, but about seeing the system and seeing ourselves in that complex system so we can better understand why we do what we do. People-pleasing is, in the end, and simplified, about control. By pleasing, we attempt to control situations and relationships, or at least manage them. An interesting side note here is that a lot of people-pleasers also call themselves control freaks. Again, because controlling and managing is their way of handling unpredictability and uncertainty. We might have tried throughout childhood and later in life to make our needs visible to others and have experienced disappointment. Asking for needs met or depending on others to take care of our needs is extremely vulnerable and to a high degree out of our control. Maybe they'll care, maybe they won't. That uncertainty is unbearable to most people-pleasers. People-pleasers take it a step further, though. Instead of acknowledging that asking for needs met is vulnerable and unpredictable, this acknowledgement in itself involves giving up control. We bury the notion that we even have needs to remain fully in control and stick to our good child, good childhood story. I had a great childhood, was a good, easy child, no needs... And the fact that I now as an adult struggle with boundaries, unhappiness, burnout, low self-esteem, anxious attachment problems, conflict avoidance, anxiety, and overall a hollow sense of self. Oh yeah, yeah, that's totally just something in my head and on me and me alone. <laughs> what a load of crap, right? It can take a few attempts to open up this good child, good childhood story and reveal the reality which is much more nuanced. This is because opening up that story again involves being vulnerable and stating the fact that relationships were unpredictable and uncertain and that you are now suffering because of that. If we acknowledge that we have needs that involve others, we suddenly open ourselves up to a much more vulnerable position than simply focusing all energy on everyone else. If you're a people pleaser, you might feel a tiny sliver of anxiety just imagining being more vocal with your needs. And imagine if I told you on top of that also to not apologize or over-explain. Oof, full-blown anxiety attack right there. People-pleasers keep the problem of their suffering or pain within themselves because that's what's predictable. That way we won't be disappointed, abandoned, neglected, rejected or excluded because of something so silly as our human needs. But as you know, this has consequences. We burn out. We get stuck in avoidance. We stretch ourselves so thinly that we almost become invisible. In reality, I think being a heavy people pleaser, paradoxically, feels like we are much more out of control than speaking needs and setting boundaries. So in a way, we might actually be confronted with some of the things we're trying to avoid. This is what 
we in the psychological field call a self-fulfilling prophecy. As people-pleasers, we need to learn how to take ourselves seriously. We need to learn that we are also worthy of taking up space and living the life we want. This is obviously a difficult process if we've been used to staying in the background for safety. What also makes it difficult to work on this is that most people-pleasers, just like anyone else, have experienced rejection when stating or showing needs. For people-pleasers, experiencing this rejection is so painful and is interpreted as proof that it's better not to have needs and just go with what others want. Being a people-pleaser can have quite an impact on our relationships. Even though we might try to hide the fact that we have needs and boundaries, obviously they exist and will make themselves visible one way or another. Often our unspoken needs, boundaries and emotions will show up in our relationship in a way that feels stressful and uncomfortable for all people involved. In a romantic relationship, for example, we might blow up at our partner or have emotional breakdowns because we feel stressed out, alone and overlooked. At the same time, it feels impossible to actually let our partner in and ask anything of them. One tendency that I see often when talking to people-pleasers about their relationships is that they often become passive-aggressive with their partners. We will leave little snarky comments about house cleaning or sigh loudly when our partner is sitting on the couch while we're cleaning or scoff at their cleaning skills. Or we might passive-aggressively comment on our partner's listening skills or even use silent treatment when we're upset. This kind of behavior screams, help, I feel overwhelmed, burned out and alone. Often these people-pleasers will use this indirect martyr behavior to try to make their partner realize, on their own, that they should help out or give us a hug or whatever. Sometimes it works, but sadly it works through shaming, not genuine interest and connection. And that's also often why it doesn't necessarily feel all that good. It can be a very difficult cycle to break out of, though, because we might have grown up with this and have never learned how to ask for help and support. Sometimes, once we start realizing how much people-pleasing we actually do, we also will need to reevaluate a lot of things. This realization might very naturally lead to a good look at our relationships. Sometimes we will have built relationships that are actually unhealthy because the dynamic is uneven. We might realize that we give a lot in relationships but hardly receive the same back. But we've pushed this off and that might have led us to actively avoiding the relationship altogether rather than confronting. Now we've gone through what people-pleasing is about, why we do it, and the consequences. So it's about time to dive into how to change it. Tune in for part two of this episode to hear practical recommendations, advice, and suggestions on how to work on these tendencies.
Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Freeze or Fawn. My name is Sophie Book. I'm a clinical psychologist and your host of this podcast. Make sure to stay tuned for more episodes and please reach out anytime. You're not alone. Are you interested in telling your story on this podcast? Please reach out to me. You can participate through interview and of course anonymously if you'd like. Or you can write your story to me and I'll be the voice of your story. If you have any questions or topics you'd like for me to investigate, please make sure to message me as well. Are you in need of help right away? Make sure to check the links in the description of this episode. You'll find all the information you need in the description of this podcast episode. Again, thank you very much for listening to the podcast Freeze or Fawn.